Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for a discussion of something that we probably all have felt from time to time, feeling stressed at the workplace. Work is often listed at the top when we think of what makes us happy. And on the other hand, the word work is often thought of as a necessary evil, something we must do rather than something we choose to do. Work-related stress is defined as a harmful reaction people have to undue pressures and demands placed on them at work. And of the total cases of stress in a report from 2011 and 2012, about 40% are work-related. The industries that report the highest rates of work-related stress are social work, education, public administration, and defense. And those occupations that report High rates of work-related stress are teachers, caregivers, and housing associate professionals. And the main work activities attributed to or what we think is causing the work-related stress were given as work pressure, lack of managerial support, and work-related violence and bullying. So the question is, are there really jobs that are good or bad, or is it how we relate to them which is important? So today you're going to get a chance to listen to an expert in the field, Dr. Frank Bond. Frank is a professor and the director of the Institute of Management Studies at Goldsmith at the University of London in, in London. He's also the author of a new book coming out about stress and Act, and it's called The Mindful and Effective Employee, which is available on Amazon, or will be available now in the spring on Amazon.com. And you can read more about Frank, his research, and the upcoming book uh, on his homepage by clicking on his name on this week's episode of Act Taking Hurt to Hope. So I want to welcome you, Frank. Thank you, Joanne, for having me. It's good to be here. Frank, you know, the, uh, the radio listeners are always curious about the, the human being beyond, beyond the professor and beyond the researcher. So tell us what got you interested in, in this area of stress and work. Yes, I mean, I think actually what got me into the area of stress and work really was ACT itself. And it really began in the mid-1990s when I was working with a client, um, we can call her Mary, mm -hmm. uh, who was experiencing various problems. And about one month into her therapy, she had what was to become her fifth miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And the pain and suffering Mary experienced was profound. And mm -hmm. I, just an intern at the time, felt completely helpless, mm -hmm. despite the intensive supervision in CBT that I was receiving. Mm -hmm. 
And during this time, I read an article on ACT that Steve Hayes wrote for a CBT newsletter. Mm -hmm. And the concept of mindfulness is a way to approach emotional pain and live a vital life struck me like a lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not, not only on a personal level, which was true, but as a way to work with Mary's suffering. Mm -hmm. And the outcome of our work together was very good, and the experience was profound, not certainly for Mary, but for me as well. Mm -hmm. And it cemented in my mind the powerfulness of the ACT approach. It just, it felt right. Mm -hmm. a dignified way to handle the profound emotions that we all feel. And, and I've never turned back. Mm -hmm. And then I began to use ACT in everything I did, including applying it to uh, stress in the workplace. Okay, so if we concentrate on stress in the workplace, so, so how common is, is this problem? Well, as you said in your introduction, it's very common. It really accounts for about 40% uh, of all work-related illnesses. And in the European Union, about 22% of workers experience work-related stress at any given time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, is, it is big. And that 22% is those people who are profoundly affected. And it can go up to 40 to 50 percent if we just think of those people who have, say, a bit of trouble sleeping or uh, think about stress too much outside of their working life. Mm -hmm. So what, what are the symptoms? You, you mentioned having a hard time sleeping. And what would be the symptoms of stress from work? Yes, a lot of worrying. That is a big one. Rumination, worrying. I think we all probably have experienced that with mm -hmm. regards to work before. Um, feelings of helplessness, powerlessness, anxiety. Um, those are probably the ones that are most common. And physiologically, there are also lots of them. Um, you know, high blood pressure is certainly one, a racing heart, mm. um, trouble eating, gaining mm. weight, losing weight, mm. um, and uh, difficulties in relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Frank, I, I mentioned in the introduction um, that most of the people, a lot of people seem to be in the help professions and, and teachers. Um, why would that be? Well, there can be a number of different reasons. One is uh, because there's lots of time pressure in those types of organizations and those types of roles, and also a lot of working very directly with other people. Mm -hmm. And working with other people in a very interactive basis can be very, um, you know, inspiring, but it can also be very stressful, especially mm -hmm. when those working relationships aren't particularly good. Mm -hmm. And I think a third reason is a lot of people in those professions sometimes don't have a lot of control over mm -hmm. how they do their job. Mm -hmm. And we know through lots of research that a lack of control over how you do your job is mm -hmm. a very, very big predictor of stress. Okay, so when you say lack of control, could that mean, for example, that somebody, uh, a boss decides that you have to see 20 patients a day or they look at the statistics rather than the quality of the care or... Yes, that's right. That could certainly be one or that you have to do things in a very particular way and you can't deviate from how you do that. Mm -hmm. That could be another one as well. Mm -hmm. oh. When things have to be methodical in nature. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so Frank, um, you as a, an ACT trainer, uh, how, how does ACT approach a problem like this of stress in the workplace? Right. Well, of course, ACT maintains that good mental health and living a vital, meaningful life 
are more likely to occur when people have higher levels of what's called psychological flexibility. Mm-hmm. Now, psychological, flexibi- psychological flexibility occurs when people can identify what they value in life. For example, being a loving father, Mm. and they're able to take steps towards those values, even if they are experiencing unwanted thoughts, feelings, and even physiological sensations such as physical pain. Mm -hmm. So in the case of a person who values being a loving father, who'll be able to pursue that value, for example, by going to um, a son or daughter's football match, even though he's feeling exhausted, stressed, or even unhappy. Mm-hmm. So when we use ACT to reduce work-related stress, we try to enhance people's levels of psychological flexibility. Mm-hmm. And we try to do this in two ways. First, we show people how they can increase their levels of what we call mindfulness. Mm-hmm. That is, instead of trying to change, fight, or avoid unwanted thoughts and feelings, mm-hmm. we teach people how to experience them in a different way mm-hmm. with, say, curiosity and interest. Mm-hmm. Um, noticing how they come and go, how they're triggered, letting them float about without them having to boss you about Mm -hmm. and letting them determine what you do or indeed don't do. Mm -hmm. Um, We also show people how they can use these mindfulness techniques to act in a way that is consistent with what they value, Mm -hmm. even when they're feeling anxious, unhappy, or again, even in pain. Mm And we also show people how they can pursue values at work that appear to be more related to their non-work life. Mm -hmm. For example, a person may value being a loving person. Now, it may be clear how they can act in a loving way with their friends and family, Mm -hmm. but we want to help them to explore how they can demonstrate love in the workplace as well. Mm -hmm. For example, by being a supportive colleague or Mm -hmm. being honest with one's employees. Mm -hmm. We really believe that if people can see how their values can transcend different areas of their lives, then we find that people feel like they have a more coherent, meaningful, and vital life. That that sounds wonderful. Frank, so how does this work practically? Do you have some practical examples? What might this look like? Yes. Well, what we do is uh, we have a protocol for helping people to reduce their stress levels at work that we've been researching and refining for over 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And um, as you noted, it's going to be published in a book this April. Mm-hmm. And in our research, my colleagues and I, I have seen that we can produce a significant reduction in stress levels in just three sessions that last three hours spread over about three months. Mm-hmm. Now, this is done in groups of about 10 people, mm-hmm. and we've run these sessions successfully in a wide range of workplaces, including public and private sector organizations, with highly educated people and those even who left formal education at 16 or even younger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, one of the first times I used our ACT in the workplace protocol was with hospital staff. And Mm -hmm. you you noted, are there good or bad jobs in terms of stress? Well, if there's one that could be bad, this one might be it. Okay. And this was working with hospital staff who cleaned up and disposed of what's euphemistically called human waste. Uh Uh-huh. What's that? Well, it can be anything from blood to body parts to dead bodies in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And this setting was very unique in many ways, but mm-hmm. it, it was the only time that I've worked with workers 
whose stress is repressed. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, oh, I'm stressed and I feel anxious, mm -hmm. they really cut themselves off from their feelings, mm -hmm. became cynical in order to avoid really the sadness and strong, unpleasant feelings that they're actually experiencing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, these workers went to such lengths to avoid these strong feelings that they perhaps unconsciously set up an unhelpful culture and work practice that reinforced that repression. Mm -hmm. what, what, what might that look like? How did they do that? Were they... Yeah. I think one way that they did that is they had a very macho culture mm -hmm. in which they um, probably weren't as respectful to uh, the job that they could be. Mm -hmm. But it was a way of not getting in touch there mm -hmm. with what they were doing. Uh, and that was probably one of the most uh, kind of visible ways that they were able to set up that uh, culture of repression, really. Mm -hmm. and, and how could you help them there? Yes. Well, what we did is we used our Act in the Workplace protocol to show these workers how they could experience those strong emotions in a mindful way. Mm -hmm. And if they were able to approach those in a mindful way using various mindfulness techniques, they could experience those emotions without feeling overwhelmed by them, mm -hmm. without having to deny them. And trying to deny and avoid them was terribly effortful. Mm -hmm. It w wasn't always effective either. Mm -hmm. And probably very importantly, we showed them that that kind of denial has side effects mm -hmm. that went against the values that they had identified. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you spend so much time and effort in denying your feelings at work, mm -hmm. that strategy is likely to seep into your personal mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. which will prevent them uh, from forming and maintaining intimacy with others. And, and I think that more than anything served as a great motivator for them to do the mindfulness exercises. Okay, so when, when you're saying that, Fr Frank, I'm thinking about people like uh, firefighters or policemen uh, or surgeons who um, who say that they, when you know, dealing with these things that most of us don't even want to know about, um, you know, going to a, a traffic scene or or a drunk uh, fight and uh, domestic violence, who have to deal with these things that they they talk about that they have to shut down their feelings in order to do the job and and often they talk about that this does affect uh them in in their relationships they, they maybe they talk about this as so, sort of a damage what would you say was that is that something similar yes i think so i i, I don't think there's any doubt about this certainly the, these people who we, who we were working with there i think had similar experiences, you may want to say traumatic experiences, mm. on a day-to-day -day basis in how they did their work. And it could be that when you're, say, a firefighter and attending the scene of the fire, it might be good not to think about the emotions or anything like that. Mm. But then it's how do you process those afterwards? And I think that's, you know, one of the key bits to try to train those people in those types of professions to be able to do. And and what would that training look like, Frank? I mean, just practically, how would you, for example, these particular people you work with, how, how so after they're working with the body parts and, and shut down, how could you, how do you get them to open up and feel what yeah. they're feeling? I mean, I think one particular way with these people, it's often interesting to ask um, how 
you know, they tend to cope with these feelings and how does their coping tend to impact upon those who they love mm. or on their relationships? Mm. Because often we find that the impact of these traumatic experiences and how people cope with them do have a problem or do lead to problems in terms of relationships. I think if they're coming to see us, they're coping in a way that isn't very effective. That is, they are trying to deny and avoid the feelings and experiences and images and memories that they have. And usually that can manifest itself often in poor relationships mm -hmm. or in relationships that don't have the quality that they want. Mm -hmm. And what we often find useful is to look at that, to ask them about the quality of their relationships or their sleeping or their eating habits. Mm -hmm. And that often opens up a window of opportunity for us to be able to offer new ways of perhaps coping so that they're able to pursue those values that they have in their life. And those other ways would be things such as mindfulness that I described a few minutes ago. Okay. So the mindfulness would be actually uh, feeling what you're feeling um, without judgment and just allowing it, whatever it is to be. Is with that's, that that's right. And for them to see that when they actually approach their thoughts and feelings and memories and flashbacks in a mindful way, the impact that they have on people are not as horrible as they might have thought. Mm -hmm. And that, that can be very powerful too, to see that they can open themselves up to these feelings in a mindful way and they're able to still get on with their life. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I got a picture when you were talking, Frank, about how we deal with death um, in, in here in Sweden, it's very segregated and behind doors. And I was thinking about how uh, we did earlier in, and it's still, it's still done here in Sweden, that, that, for example, the relatives to the person who is deceased actually wash the body and um, are, you know, are mindful and respectful, but practically work with, you know, the body. And it seems to be very helpful that it's not as you imagine it is when you actually work with it and, and are with it? Would, what would you say? I can imagine that that, that um, kind of those practices can be very useful, almost they're designed in a way to be or to present a mindful exercise or situation. You know, the act of washing. Um, you know, something that's very methodical in a way and keeping you in touch with this person whom you love and the idea that you have lost that person. Mm. I think I, I could see how that could be used as a very good way of mindfully accepting mm. uh, a tragic situation. Mm. Yeah. Frank, do you have an example of um, a person or people who have changed after this training you've done? Yes, I mean, I, I've given you one kind of <laughs> example of working with a very unique population, but I must say that we usually work with people who have normal everyday jobs. And one person really stands out in my mind uh, from over the years. 
And this was a woman in her early 40s um, who was working in a call center where I was running an act for stress group. And working in a call center is pretty stressful because the work is fairly monotonous. People don't have a lot of control over how they do their work. And they're under considerable time pressures. Mm -hmm. Also, they're not paid a lot. So that doesn't, you know, help things. Mm -hmm. This act intervention really helped her um, to psychologically tap into the reasons why she was doing this job. Because she valued being a loving mother who did all she could to provide for her family. Mm -hmm. And by clearly identifying this value, which the ACT program um, led her to do, Mm -hmm. she found the motivation to do the mindfulness exercises that helped her not to fight the feelings of boredom and stress. Mm -hmm. And as a result of giving up this Fight. Mm-hmm. These feelings bothered her less and less. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, and, and this is this is very, I think, profound for me, by being mindful, she was able to focus more on her work. Mm-hmm. She did it better and was even promoted. Something mm-hmm. that she had thought was beyond her, but she was able to see that she actually could do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the act intervention, she better connected with her value of being a loving mother. Mm-hmm. And this motivated her to use mindfulness exercises at work. And intriguingly, it also motivated her to take steps at home to act in a more supportive and involved way with her kids, mm-hmm. which was not, not anything we ever talked about, mm-hmm. but it just kind of spilled over into different aspects of her life for her pursuing those values that she had. Mm-hmm. So, Frankie, if we were to summarize the, uh, this in a nutshell, uh, how, how would you, um, would you say that if, if people are, you know, who are listening to the program right now or maybe feel stressed about their work, what advice could you give them? Well, I think the first thing to realize is that it's not unusual to feel stressed at work. This is not an abnormal thing. And I think that in and of itself can be very useful to acknowledge and to identify. And then I think one thing that I would do, and I, I when I work with um, managers and leaders, one thing that I advise is to spend at least 10 minutes each day doing some type of mindfulness exercise. Mm. Now, it doesn't have to be sitting with your eyes closed and noticing your breathing, although that's very good. But you can also be mindful when you're going about your life. Mm. For example, when you're on your journey to work, mindfully showering and getting dressed in the morning, mindfully walking during a break at work. I mean, I I bet all of us have had situations when we've walked out of our front door to go to work. And the next thing we know, we're walking in by our desk, Mm -hmm. not really having noticed how we've gotten there. Mm -hmm. But we just do it mechanically. Mm -hmm. And that provides a wonderful opportunity for mindfulness to take in what we're seeing as we're going to work by letting go of those thoughts that come into our head and being present on that journey into work. Mm -hmm. So for those people, and I have lots of clients who say, well, I have no time to do the mindfulness sitting and breathing. I say, it doesn't matter. We can do it another way. And I think that's very useful for people who may be feeling stressed at work. Mm -hmm. And and, and another one too, I think. Mm -hmm. And what I encourage 
a lot of people to do is list two values that you have in your work life. For example, being a supportive colleague might be one. And also list two values in your non-work life, mm -hmm. maybe being a loving partner or a good friend. Mm -hmm. And set yourself even very small daily goals that represent or serve to move you towards those four values. They can be very small things, maybe saying well done to a colleague or whatever it might be. But doing this should help to bring meaning and vitality even to a boring, cold, rainy Monday. In fact, mm -hmm. it helped me on such a day yesterday. <laughs> and, and I think that, that's, that serves to broaden the perspective and the actions that we have in work and in our outside life as well. That sounds good. So it sounds, Frank, like um, you know, getting out of your mind and in, actually into your work, even though you may have a tendency to want to avoid, to get more into what you're doing and be mindful uh, and, and following values both at work and at home. Yes, I think that summarizes it very, very nicely. Uh, you know, sometimes being in our head and thinking is far more toxic than going about our daily life, even if it can be monotonous. By being mindful, we can find meaning in the monotony. Mm. I think that's, that's a good summary, Frank. Thank you for joining us today. Joanne, thank you very much for having me. Today you've been listening to Dr. Frank Bond. Uh, Frank is a professor and director of the Institute of Management Studies at Goldsmith at the University of London. He is an author of a book that you can look for that's coming out in April about stress and, and act, and it's called The Mindful and an Effective Employee. Uh, you can find this book and you can read more about Frank and his research by clicking on his name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope, on webtalkradio.net. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.